Happy Easter, everybody. We are here at the Camel's Den Cave. And you know what? The cave is empty. And the tomb of Jesus is empty. Can you imagine that on that morning, that first morning, Easter morning, all those years ago, running to the cave and seeing that was empty and seeing that the stone was rolled away. I know you all just saw a video about our new Boston quarter space. We are so thrilled about that. We talked about obstacles being moved out of the way. The stone's been rolled away. God's going to help us to create a place after 20 years of praying that perfectly fits the unique calling. And what is Easter? Well, it's a little more important than our brand new space. It actually has completely changed the world. What happened 2,000 years ago and what we will unpack in this series is how the ways of Jesus Christ has radically transformed the world and that we know, we know that it worked. As historians look back at what took place 2,000 years ago, whether they're Christian or secular, everybody admits something happened that completely changed the world. So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to dig into the book of Acts because the book of Acts shows us what works. It shows us how the world has changed. And it's not like we have to guess which way does it go because it's it's making it clear. It is telling us what are the primary basic foundational beliefs of Jesus Christ? What is his way? And how do we know that it works? Because it did work in Acts and it has worked over and over. So that's what we're going to unpack, except for next week. Next week, we're not going to so much talk about the what. We're going to talk about the how. Because that's where things break down a lot in the how. How do you share the what? Talk about monotheism next week. And also, Carrie Job is going to be with us. You're not going to miss it. But today, here we go. What do we want to talk about today on Easter Sunday when the whole world changed? We want to talk about where. Where are we headed? And why does the resurrection of Jesus Christ clearly show us the where? When we know the where. Like, Let me put it this way. When I go shopping, I don't like to browse. I'm not a browser. You know, when you browse around, you don't really, you know, you don't really have anything clear about what you're doing. You're just kind of meandering around. We don't have to do that spiritually. We can have purpose. We can have meaning. We can have focus in life because the where of Easter, where it's leading to us is really clear. I'll also say this way. A few weeks ago, I was meeting Pastor Neil. I was meeting him at a place I'd never been before. So I put it put the address in the GPS. And you know what I did? I put in the wrong address. I was late. I was frustrated. When you don't have meaning, you don't have purpose because you're not clear on the where, frustration, meandering, browsing, but here we go. What Easter gives us is a clear meaning and purpose because we're focused about, we know where we are headed. So let's fasten our seatbelts. Let's jump in and let's head towards this great meaning of Easter. Acts chapter one, this is what it says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs. Lots of proofs. And they're convincing that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, While he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's a game changer. We're gonna get into that. Now, here it comes. Here's the destination, verse number six. Then they gathered around him and asked him, 
Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Before I talk about that word restore, which is so incredibly important, I want to talk about verse number one, Theophilus. Theophilus. This is written to somebody named Theophilus. Now, we don't know who he was, but we do know this. His name means lover of God. So we're a church for people who don't go to church. Almost 40% of us are just here. We're kind of checking it out. We've never been to church before. Or we haven't been to church in a really long time. For a lot of us, that's because we either we're burned or bored, or there was a misunderstanding about exactly what is going on in the text, in the story of Jesus Christ. I want to say, many times we talk, you know, for everybody, right? But this series is a great opportunity for somebody who self-classifies the non-church goer to listen in and to hear, oh, what are those basic beliefs? But this is specifically focused in on a church person. So if you're a lover of God, you know, here where it says they got into the teachings of Jesus. If you're a lover of God, you've got to dig down deep. This is the time more than any other time. And I explain it in this series that we have really got to know the basics of our beliefs. We got to be completely clear on it because the world needs to know and we are facing some really serious problems. So it's time to get really serious lovers of God and to dig into the depths because Jesus's ways, this is the case I want to build. Jesus's way is the only way and it is the proven way to solve any and all problems that our world is facing. This is the way. Now that might sound our arrogant and I apologize for that. But actually, I don't mean to be arrogant. I mean to be extremely practical. And in this series, we're going to make it clear. And for all those who say, you know what? I want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Well, we know what the solution is. It's clear. And history tells us, and it starts with Jesus Christ and his way. Now, you know what they called them in the book of Acts? Followers of Jesus, lovers of God. You know what they called them? They called them followers of the way. So we want to dig in and unpack the way of Jesus because it is the end. I have a choice to make. I can be a part of the problem and complain about the world going to hell in a handbasket, or I can be a part of the solution. Jesus Christ is calling lovers of God to dig in and understand the what they believe so clearly that they can be a part of the solution because there is, there is a solution. Now, here we go. What is restoration? Restoration is our destination. That's why they said, Jesus, you're going to restore now because they knew that the Bible is pointing towards restoration. When I was growing up in church, as I went through Bible college, I heard so many people talk about it's all going to burn. Like all of this beauty of God's creation is it's all going to burn. You know what it would mean if it's all going to burn? Like all we're just going to like float off into heaven because it's out there somewhere and all of this is just going to burn up and God's going to create something somewhere else. That would mean that God is a quitter. That means that God gives up on his creation. And ultimately what that means is, is God gives up on you. I tell you what, God is not a quitter and he does not give up. I might give up on you and others might give up on you, but I tell you what, Jesus Christ would never give up on you. If Good Friday and Jesus dying on the cross shows us anything, it shows us that there's nothing that would make God give up on you. He has made a covenant with all of his creation. He starts it in Genesis chapter one and he repeats it over and over and over and over again. What's a covenant? It's an unbreakable, cosmic, supernatural on steroids promise. He is not giving up on creation. All of this beauty that you see right here, God loves it. God created it. He's not going to give up on it. He is not a quitter. We need to be biblical in our understanding and our theology. And to say all of it's going to burn is not a biblical statement. It is a platonic statement. It comes from Plato because he felt 
that everything of creation, material creation, was imperfect. And the only thing perfect was the soul. No, no, no. What God believes is he made a covenant with all creation. You're important to him. He's not going to give up on you. Restoration of all things is our destination. Now, what does restoration look like? Now, here, now we're getting to the good stuff. Now we're getting to that stuff that's deep in us. And we're like, oh, yes, I want that too. What does restoration look like? It looks like Isaiah chapter 2. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God. I'm going to unpack this more. But what's the temple, everybody? It's where the kingdom of God, heaven and earth come together. It's where they meet. It's where they come together. I'm going to explain more of that in a second because it's really important. Then it says this is he will teach us his ways. You know why? Because when you follow the ways of Jesus, that's how restoration is achieved. His ways walk in his past. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's why he said, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the power of the Spirit because it's all going to burst forth from there. And it's covered the world, started 2,000 years ago. He will judge between nations and he will settle disputes. You know what restoration looks like? It looks like disputes being settled. It looks like abuses of power, injustice, stopping. It goes on. Check this out. First time in all of literature, world peace is mentioned. Nobody talked about world peace. World peace wasn't even something they hoped for, wasn't something they thought was possible, wasn't even something they conceived of. And yet here comes the Bible. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years before anybody talks about world peace, here's what it says. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation. Nor will they train for war anymore. World peace. That's what restoration. Do you want world peace? Do you want the end of injustice? Do you want the end of abuse of power? That's the restoration that the Bible is talking about. And there's only one way to get it. It's through the ways of Jesus Christ. What are those ways? What are those ways? We're going to talk about all of that in this series. They have been waiting for a restoration. They believe because Israel was a nation of 12 tribes and they experienced a terrible divorce, a divorce, a splitting apart. They believed that a Messiah was going to come and that he was going to reunite them once again and they'd have one king and he would be in Jerusalem. And that is who Jesus Christ is. He is the great reconciler. He's the one that causes the end of their great divorce and for them to be reunited. Now, there's something far deeper than that, and I want to get into that in just a minute. But I need to say this. What does the resurrection then do? Why is it so important? Here's what it does. It lets them know that the way of Jesus Christ actually works, that it is the way. So Jesus meets a couple of disciples at the end of the Gospel of Luke, same person who writes the book of Acts. And they're walking on a road to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And it's Sunday and Jesus walks up to them. They don't recognize that it's him, but they're, you know, they're kept from realizing it's Jesus and they're having it. And Jesus, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you brand new to this area? Jesus of Nazareth. We thought he was the Messiah, but he died. So he's a failed Messiah. We put our hopes and dreams in him. But some of the women of the disciples of Jesus, they went to the tomb early and he wasn't there. What are we supposed to do with this? And Jesus says, have you not studied the scriptures? Don't you know? And he begins to unpack all the scriptures to them. What is all of this about? He's showing them that it is his way. Now, we need to understand something really important here. Bible scholars talk about this. 
We talk about the fact that the Bible is inspired. We talk about the fact that the Bible is inerrant. Some scholars will say this. What is inspired is not the Bible, but the interpretation of the Bible. Ah, what do I mean by that? What do I mean? What do I think they mean by that? This is what it means. Some people take the Bible, they read it, and they twist it, and they turn it, and they do all kinds of different things with it that lead to things that are totally outside the will and the ways of God. What is inspired here is the correct interpretation. So people are arguing about what the scriptures were actually teaching. In Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, lots of different scholars that, okay, I think it means this, I think it means this, I think it, lots of interpretation. So Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, what does he do? He says, you have heard it said, but I tell you, he is refining the interpretation of the text. And now everything is filtered through Jesus Christ. So God told us his way, and now in Jesus, he shows us his way because we filter everything through Jesus because it is his way that works. No other way works. Only the way of Jesus Christ works. And now we have total clarity. Ah, I need to filter everything through the way of Jesus Christ because it is his way. Now, let's unpack his way. So Jesus says he's the light of the world. Where does light come in? What does that mean? We find it in Genesis chapter one, verse number three, first day of creation. God says, let there be light. What does light represent? It's not sun. Sun's created on day number four. What's light? Light in the Bible is justice. It is joy. It's deliverance. That's why Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead on Easter Sunday at Passover. It's a deliverance. It's joy. It's the end of the abuse of power. It's everything that deep down in our heart we crave and we long for. That's what restoration means. It's us. It's us going back to that place that all of us crave and we long for. Now, let me read to you from Isaiah chapter nine. This is what it says. And it's talking about light. This, this, get in your mind this understanding of restoration as our destination. This is what the Bible says that restoration looks like. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. See, it's light, it's joy, and it's justice. They've been delivered out. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice when the dividing of the plunder or as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of, of oppression. See, see, this is the end of the abuse of power. It's justice for all people. It's the end of the things that, that hurt us and wound us so deeply. Verse five, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. It's the end of wars. It's the God's light brings world peace. That's what his way leads to. Verse six, and here's a classic Christmas verse that we, we read about Jesus. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That's the kingdom. When he rules, will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What is he? He's the Prince of Peace. The way of Jesus Christ is proven to bring peace. There is no peace outside of the principles of Jesus Christ. They just work, practical in nature. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there's going to be no end. He will reign on David's throne in his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice 
and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now check out what Psalm 27 says. I'll just read you a few verses, but the whole thing is fantastic. The Lord is my light and my salvation. This is the way of Christ to bring light, to bring salvation. It's proven to work. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who are going to stumble and fall. Everything that sets itself up against the ways of Christ will not work. It's going to fall. We're going to get into that in a second. Verse number three, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's God's presence. That's God's temple. It's where heaven and earth meet to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple again. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling, that's his temple, his tabernacle. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. He will set me high upon a rock and then finally teach me what? Teach me what? Teach me your way, Lord. Teach me your way. So here's the ways of God. Here's what the restoration being our destination looks like. Here's what we're all shooting for. Here's what we put in our spiritual GPS. We know it. It shapes our identity. It shapes our hope, our meaning, our purpose. So Genesis 1.26, we have talked about this verse so much. I want to talk about it in a way that I haven't talked about it before. It says everybody's created in the image of God. Well, when this verse was written, a great king or queen or the royal family or whatever, they were viewed as the image of God. Like, this wasn't for everybody. This was for a very select few people who are like at the top and the vast majority of people underneath of them would suffer under their power because it wasn't justice for all. It wasn't equality or dignity for all. It was just for a very few select people and everybody else suffered that abuse. And along comes God, unheard of. This is where the Bible introduces us to the great ways of of the way his kingdom works. He says, every single person is the image of God. There's equality and there's dignity. It's not for a select few. It's for absolutely all people, all people, not just royalty, all people. Look, have you ever felt helpless or hopeless or powerless? Have you ever felt insignificant, unheard, unseen? I just want to think about this. And this applies to all people, but let's just take for case Easter morning and how the women run to the tomb. Women, women. Do you think that's random, that they were the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you think that Mary speaking to Jesus first before anybody else is somehow just random? Women were seen as insignificant. They were powerless. They were helpless. They were hopeless. And God right here on Easter Sunday morning is saying, everybody who feels insignificant, who feels that you don't matter, you do matter because God sees you, God hears you, and God wants to give you dignity, equality, injustice. That's what it means. So when we read about these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Martha's in the kitchen and she's cooking and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ as he teaches, like all the male disciples did. And Martha comes out and says, Jesus, tell Mary to join me in the kitchen where all women need to be. What does Jesus say? He says, no, no, Martha, Mary has chosen better. 
she is a disciple of mine because there's equality there. And we see that in the book of Acts, the women are in the upper room. And we see that when Saul, who later becomes Paul and writes most of the New Testament of Scripture, when he is going off to Damascus, he's ready to drag men and women away. What does that mean? It means that the women play just as a vital role and an equal role as the men. What is all this meaning? This is meaning that any single person, no matter who you are, where you are, what you are, are significant, you're seen and you're heard. That's the dignity of God. That's the image of God in all people. This, my friends, is justice for all, not justice for some. Now, humanity is great at justice for some. I've lived in Washington, D.C. my entire life. Every single president's been elected. I'm going to be president for all people. And then they're not. 100% not. They give justice for some people. We have hopes and dreams of a righteous king. We have all these children's stories that are written about a noble prince who will come, a righteous king who will lay down his life and 100% of the time will always do what is best for their subjects. And yet we don't have any human examples of that. We have zero human examples of somebody who 100% of the time gives justice for all, dignity to all, and will sacrifice themselves before their subjects. 100%. We don't have it, except for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his way is the only way because he is the only one that comes and brings justice for all. All, not some, all. Dignity for all. He is the light of the world. We are creating the image of God. Those words are a revolution and it only found in the pages of the Bible. And Jesus Christ is showing us how to make it work. God told us and then God showed us in the life of Jesus Christ. And it is why his way works. He is the righteous king. We have like this memory trace, which is probably why we keep writing all these kids' books about this righteous, noble king who will come because deep down inside of us, we long for that restoration. And that is the very restoration the disciples asked Jesus Christ about in Acts 1, verse number 6. Now, this is a very important verse out of Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 12. Listen to what it says. This is so important to the day and age we live in because there's all these voices. They're out there all over the place. They're in coffee shops. They're on social media. They're on TV screens. They're all over the internet. There's all these ways. And we say, you know what? Our world is terrible. Our world has all these problems. How are we going to solve it? There's no solving it. Or here's the way to solve it. Listen to what Proverbs 14, 12 says. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The only ways that actually work in this world is if somebody in this world adopts the ways of Jesus Christ. So anything that has ever worked that has brought reconciliation, it adheres to at some point. I don't care if they claim it or not. It adheres to the very principles of the what that we're talking about in the series to Jesus Christ, because there's only one way to reconciliation. There's only one path to justice, life, and peace. And it is the very ways of Jesus Christ. But there's all these ways. And you're like, let's try this way. Let's try this way. Let's try this way. But those ways are leading to death. They're not working. Everybody, we know the ways that work. All you have to do is be a student of history. All you have to do is be aware of what's going on. Don't let all these deceptions and smoke screens confuse you. It is so clear what works. We have had an explosion of science. We like to talk about science. I love science. Science basically was created by people who believe in Jesus Christ. The great scientists of the scientific revolution were all almost 100% Christians. 
However, I need to say this. We have absolutely exploded in science, but it didn't give us meaning, hope, or purpose. Like, if science is the, is the path to meaning, hope, and purpose, and identity, identity, then why aren't we exploding with meaning, purpose, and identity? Why are we having a crisis of meaning, purpose, and Why are people so stressed out, anxious, and committing suicide? Why are we like, oh my gosh, I don't know who I am? Because science will not, cannot, never, ever going to answer that question. Only religion is going to answer that question. What else have we tried? We've tried nationalism. We tried atheism. And right now, we are trying individualism big time. Now listen, French sociologist Emile Durkheim, back in 1897, wrote a book called Suicide. And in it, he says, when a society turns to anonymity, that is, when we become so individualistic, when we're like, hey, you do you, which basically, when we don't have a shared moral code, when it's just everybody for themselves, and we celebrate the individual, this is what Durkheim said in 1897. He said suicide would increase. Now, we are right in the midst of individualism. You do you. Whatever works for you, you do it. No shared moral code. And when that happens, Durkheim said all the way back in 1897, suicide would increase. Well, suicide is exploding. So what are we seeing now? We are seeing that science didn't give meaning, hope, and purpose. Atheism, nationalism, and in the midst of individualism, that's not working either. So all the studies, and maybe you're reading them, you probably are, are all showing the same thing. There's this massive wave building in its religion. Religion is going to make a roaring comeback because it is religion actually brings communities together. It causes, it brings a past identities. Religion is what's what? The ways of Jesus Christ. Look, they're thinking by the year 2050 that China, we hear this all the time in America, like Christianity is a white Western thing. Not hardly, not close. The most church-going Christians in the world are in South America, and then they're in Africa, and next they're in China. And by 2050, with the, with the rapid increase that we're seeing of followers of the ways of Jesus Christ in China, we're thinking by 2050, China will be a majority Christian nation because the wave is building. And in this series, what we want to talk about, we have to prepare ourselves as lovers of God, as followers of Jesus Christ. We got to be super clear on what are his ways and how do we spread those ways? Because lots of people are coming and they're searching and saying, you know what? It didn't work. I looked for my identity here and it didn't work. Individualism didn't work for me. I went the path of science. You know what? I came up empty. That is what everything is showing. We know this. It does not work. Clearly, atheism didn't work because it led to over 100 million people dying in the 20th century. That is not going to work. Religion is where it works and the ways of Jesus Christ is what works. Now, listen, we are incredibly confused about this. I read uh, recently about an article that was in the Atlantic magazine. And you know what this article said? This just shows you how confused we are with this whole thing. You know what the article said? It says, American children's books just aren't anywhere nearly as good as British children's books. It's because American children's books have too much Christianity in it. And the British children's books, which are totally pagan, they're just so much better. And then it cited Lord of the Rings, written by Tolkien, or Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, because they're so pagan, written by two people who are radically committed to the ways of Jesus Christ. 
See how foolish that is? Or how about Harry Potter? How about the famous Harry Potter? We got to the final book number eight and we realized, oh, this is rooted and grounded in Christianity. And the author of Harry Potter is a follower of Jesus Christ. All rose. Listen, uh, there was a, a gathering of atheists and agnostics and people who called themselves nun, nuns. And they said, let's get together and let's have a, let's have a gathering for reason. And they just lifted up the speech of Dr. King. And they're like, yes, Dr. King, it was so great. And his speech, I have a dream is so great. It's because there wasn't any religion in it. The speech was given by a pastor, the Reverend Dr. King, who rooted and grounded his speech in the Bible and who loved Genesis 1.26 that we're all created in the image of God. That's where the power came from. Hey, everybody. Wilberforce, committed Christian, who gave up his entire career for the ways of Christ, for the abolitionist movement. Nelson Mandela in apartheid, who taught in college Bible classes on Jesus Christ. Dr. King, Rosa Parks, look. If somebody can please find me some great movement that's made a great difference in this world that is not somehow shaped by the ways and the principles and the what of Jesus Christ, please, please email me. It does not exist as far as I know, and I've been looking for a very, very long time. Do you want to be a part of the solution? Then you be a part of Christ's ways. And what confirms it? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That tomb is empty, and it confirmed to those first disciples his way is the way and the only way that works. Now, I want to go back to the garden, explain one thing, and then we're done. So what happens in the beginning? We see one of the very first things that happens is there's a wedding, there's a marriage. Why? There's a wedding, there's a tree, there's a there's Adam and Eve coming together. And then you go all the way into the Bible, and again, there's a tree and there's a marriage. What's the purpose of that? Well, here we go. When things began in the Garden of Eden, kingdom of God, Heaven and earth were married. They were married together. They were joined. And then Genesis chapter three, the great divorce takes place and they're exiled from the garden. And you get a view of this when you read about the great divorce between the northern and southern kingdom, between the tribes of Israel and the longing that they would one day come back, to, that they'd be reunited, that they would be reconciled. And the Messiah, who is Jesus, would come along and be that one king because they would be reconciled in the Messiah. And why does Jesus do his first miracle at a wedding? And then you get to the end of the story in the book of Revelation and you read about this marriage supper of the lamb and the bride and heaven coming and this reuniting once again. It's because heaven and earth were meant to be married together, to be unified. And the restoration that we're looking for is not that this earth is destroyed. That's not the destination. And that we fly off to heaven wherever it is. It's that heaven is in a different dimension that Jesus Christ reaches across. As Revelation says, he's standing at the door knocking. As Billy Graham says, on the cross, Jesus reached out to us and he grabbed us and he crossed that divide. And he is the great reconciler because it is the ways of Christ, the ways of Christ that work and bring us together. Now, let me read to you from Revelation 21. Here's how the whole Bible ends. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place. That's the temple. That's the tabernacle. And you know what the Bible says? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
There is no longer, for 2,000 years, there hasn't been a temple in Jerusalem. You and I, anybody who follows the ways of Jesus Christ becomes a temple of the Spirit, is a spot where heaven and earth, I, if I'm following the ways of Christ, am a place where heaven and earth actually are coming together. The dwelling, the place of God is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then what's gonna happen when that happens? When restoration is a destination, check out what verse number four, this is so good. This is so good. This gives us so much purpose. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. All that old stuff, we all the injustice we've seen, all the hurt, all the abuse, all the selfishness, all that stuff going to be going away. Restoration is the destination. Finally, verse number five. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making what? Everything new. I'm not making all new things. I'm restoring everything that I already made because I'm not a quitter. I would never quit on you. I would never quit on you. That's what God is saying. I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Everybody, Science didn't work. Atheism didn't work. Nationalism didn't work. Individualism, all these things didn't work. They don't work. We think they might work, but they're only leading to death. And all the numbers are showing that. History is showing that. We have so much evidence, but there's a convincing proof that the ways of Jesus Christ work. It gives meaning. It gives hope. It gives identity. gives purpose and focus. The ways of Christ are proven to be reconciliation and all great movements around the world that have ever led to healing and hope and help are all rooted in the ways of Christ that the Bible, the Bible introduced to us in the world. So listen, I'm going to ask you that you would join us for an amazing ride, a game-changing ride, that you would dig into the what does Jesus Christ believe, into his ways, and that we together would pray and work and live towards that belief that is described to us in the pages of Acts and that we would be a part of the solution, not the problem. It's gonna be a great ride, strap on, let's go, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, Jesus. Thank you that you have showed us the way. Thank you that you have given us an awesome hope and an incredible destination. Help us to have complete clarity of your beliefs and Holy Spirit, fill us that we might live out your great ways in our time and in our age. In Jesus' name, amen.